Mikoech, Shabadas Kegish, Koko in a Deshnakas, Bodwe Wad Mikoenda, Megazay Dodam. I was reading Vine Deloria Jr. Now it's a little dated. It's a book called God is Red, and I think it was published in the 1970s, and it's become kind of an anthem for, for many of us. I had a chance to interview him several years ago. He was teaching out at the University of Colorado. And this quote I want to give you and just get your response to it. Delorius says the primary difference between Western and indigenous ways of life is that Indians experience and relate to the universe, a living universe, okay? Whereas Western people often reduce all things to objects or material. And as a woman, as a, as a professor, as a traditional woman schooled in both Western and traditional thought, uh, what would you, is that an accurate assessment by Mr. Deloria? It is, and I think that is really well captured in things like the embodiment of the medicine wheel when as Native people, we're told that we have these multiple ways of understanding within that circle, right? We, have, we do have um, sort of the intellectual knowledge, knowledge of the mind and of the body. And those are ways that the Western world really privileges, the physical mm -hmm. knowledge of the physical world, but they leave out the emotional ways of knowing and the spiritual ways of knowing. And that, that enables them to reduce the world to its instead of to someone's. And I think that that, that difference, the, 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 um, the, the ways in which we have abandoned our, our, our teachings about the beingness mm. of the world and the personhood of the world is what underpins a lot of the, the social pathologies mm. that we live with mm. today. One time during the the fish wars in the 80s, I, I met uh, Eddie Benton today, but the way we're done. And he figures in, in your writings and, and all of our thoughts. And Eddie came to visit, and we were talking about asin, about uh, stones, about rocks. And he told me that uh, they were gendered. He said that there's males and there's females. And I said, well, do all rocks have a gender? And he says, no, but but some do. And he took me out and showed me a female rock that was sitting next to our cabin. And then later, as I, I got more involved with the Maple Sugar Nation, as you so beautifully put it, I learned that the name for maple is Inanatik, which is the male tree, you know. And we don't have those connections in English. We have objects. We have kind of a separate universe floating out there. How do indigenous languages, and I know that you're studying and reconnecting with the language, how do languages help us protect the earth? What a beautiful question, because I think it lives there. We're always told that our language holds so much wisdom, and in what I think of as that, 
that grammar of animacy, the grammar of life, which is inherent in Anishinaabemowin, um, where we speak of the rocks and of the maples and of the rivers as beings, as relatives, that wonderful language that we hear, we're not talking about resources, we're talking about our relatives. And, and when, we, when you think about the fact that English has no such equivalent, as you say, it's all it, those rocks are are it, um, uh, it, it, Mother Earth is it. Um, mm. We have to call her by her name. Mm. Um, we have to understand the beingness of, mm. of the world because otherwise that language of it, if we just start to think about and speak of the Earth as if it's just stuff, mm. As, mm. as if it's all the property, it enables that exploitation, that mm. mindless exploitation as opposed to thinking of our relatives and, and how we care for our mm. relatives. Mm. Back in 1843, after the 42 Lapointe Treaty was signed in northern Wisconsin, the War Department sent a gunboat from Cleveland to Ontonaga, Michigan, and they built a tram in order to uh, capture a giant copper boulder in the middle of the Ontonagan River. They had somehow negotiated with a headman there to sell the, the rock for a couple hundred dollars. And they captured it and they brought it back to uh, Cleveland and shipped it up to uh, the Smithsonian. And it, it lay there in repose until a few years ago. And I, I'd been called to Washington to talk for uh, Wolves. And I'd made a vow to Walter Brissett McCunz and when I finally got to Washington, I would bring tobacco to that rock. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Smithsonian. And he told me that it had been shipped to a warehouse in Baltimore. Oh. It was like a scene out of uh, Lost Raiders of the Ark. Because it is a covenant for us. It's the shiny red metal, the Miskawabic. Mm -hmm. And when we look at our Midday women and they're carrying copper vessels, right? The army was engaged in spiritual warfare from the get-go, and they knew if they could capture their manito. Mm -hmm. Well, Kimura Bay attempted to repatriate it in 1990, and for 12 years they negotiated with, with the Smithsonian. Finally, they were denied access because they couldn't prove a Made song from that era. But that copper is still there, and we need it back. So when you use the word natural resources, you know, we have a Department of Natural Resources here. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, in your work in New York, you've begun to negotiate with the state of New York about integrating traditional worldview with state policy. I think in Wisconsin, we're at a point where that could happen again. Why would that be helpful to us? There's so much wrapped up in your question. Um, first of all, I want to absolutely endorse the, the notion of the repatriation of our relatives and that we, we, we bring them back so they can teach us again and, and, and uh, watch over us again. I look forward to the time when that, when that copper being is back with the people on the land and not in a warehouse. That just breaks my heart to think about that. 
And um, the notion, again, I'll get, I'll get to your, your question, you know, and yeah. when I talk about um, this, when we say Department of Natural Resources, yeah. as I travel a lot talking to people, I think, again, we need to change that language. What if, instead of um, a DNR, instead of a, a Department of Natural Resources in a university as well, what if we use the indigenous framing and said, oh, no, uh, what we have here is a Department of Earthly Gifts? It changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. And our work um, in New York State, and we're just beginning to do this with what is called our Department of Environmental Conservation, analogous to your DNR, um, they have a, um, a uh, legislative mandate to work with the uh, Indian nations of New York State, of which there are uh, seven different nations, actually, depending on how you know jurisdictions fall, more than that, nine different nations. And um, what we're they because they have this mandate to work and consult um, on these shared concerns for the earthly gifts, i.e., natural resources. Um, they realized that they weren't really doing a, a full job about that. And so, at our university, our Center for Native Peoples and the Environment has recently um, been designated as as a liaison between the the um, uh, Indian nations and the state. And so, what we're hoping to do is to continue and strengthen that dialogue so that consultation really becomes authentic. It isn't just checking a box, oh, we sent them an email about this public hearing, um, that we, we reunite on the land and say, well, what, what is what we call public land? And we have a lot of state land in, in, in New York. Um, all of that public land is ancestral land every last acre of it. And so the original um, peoples need to have a stake and a say and a voice for that land. So um, we're thinking to um, try to, to to use this this liaison as a way to reestablish customary use in some of the ways that I know that you have been involved in, 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 in bringing back sugaring in what yeah. is called public land, yeah. but is ancestral land. Treaty land, right? Um, and so those are the kinds of things we're hoping for, is to be able to bring traditional ways of knowing into the um, uh, awareness of our of our DEC folks and to think about how we might shape policy and action based on those relationships. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. We're, we're planning our sugar bush. I uh, just talked with... Uh, Mike Wiggins, we're both ordering new stainless steel finishing pans. And I was out uh, scouting the other day on snowshoes. And uh, I got a chance to visit with Winnipeg. Mm. He come in to a place we call the Artesian Maple, which is a collection of four or five maples that gush a bucket a day, five-gallon bucket of sand. And it's like the whole tree could feed half the tribe. Mm. So I went there to meet, and he, he shows up. He was on a whirlwind. And he says to me, he says, the creator gave you all a song, okay? And that's how you know who you are. Mm. And I thought about what you talked about, you know, the gift economy. 
We live on a territory which is essentially Métis, northern Wisconsin, Indian, non-Indian, connected, married in. And they're, they're, it's racist in some respects, but there's very little difference between the people. You can feel it. And the idea that this last government shutdown really didn't bother us all that much because we have Minoan, we have wild rice, we have Wawashkeshi, Rias, we've got cedar, we've got Labrador tea, and we're rich. So, and you said this so beautifully in your book, we, we through our eloquence, we, we express our gratitude. Are there aspects in the Western worldview which can integrate with that indigenous creed? Can it, can it come back together? You know, like when we read uh, the Psalms, there's a hint of it. We read the Song of Songs. You know, we read that in the Bible. But can that, can that assist the, the emergence of the new people? I think that the teachings of gift and reciprocity belong to all of us because they were taught us by the earth. Um, that's the way the earth works. That's the way we are wealthy. It's because of give and take and reciprocity in the living world. Um, as a person who um, is also trained as a scientist, that that notion that the land is our library, the land is our teacher, um, is part of what ecological scientists are there to learn. Um, if they learn with humility and mm. not only eyes wide open, but spirit wide, yeah. wide yeah. open as, as, as well. And it is in the teachings of the land that I think that common ground exists, that we can find our way again. Um, and when we're, we're embraced by those gifts of the natural world, when we think about the world as gift, of, as monomans, as, as bosquet, all these things are, are gifts for us, right? Um, that we know what to do when we're given a gift. Um, part of our song is a song of gratitude for those gifts. But it's also to say, well, let's give our gift back. Um, what is it that we as human people have to give? Um, and I am always humbled and mindful of that teaching that, you know, when we say, what does it mean to be an educated person? Um, it means to know what your gift is and to give it back. Um, and I think that we as, as human beings, um, both from a traditional perspective and a scientific perspective, and hey, virtually any perspective you can think of except for the materialist industrial yeah. perspective, is to know that we have a gift and we feel better when we give it back. Um, it, it's healing. It's healing for the land and it's healing for us as well. I had a chance to meet uh, Jake Swamp. Mm. He came out to plant a tree of peace with that us. That is a blessing. And, uh, you know, I was coming into the territory, into the tribe, and into connections. And, and uh, the idea of the Thanksgiving address, that people would gather for four days and say their miigwetches, say their thank yous. Um, when we practice this in public schools, we're accused of uh, mixing politics and spirituality. 
Okay. We we brought uh, Billy Mills to the Lakeland Union High School in Manaqua during the treaty fight, and 75% of the class stayed home because they didn't want to hear Billy Mills. They was one of the, who's mm. one of the great athletes of the 20th century, which was really their loss. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know, those distinctions are made in Indian country. Every time I'm in Indian country, somebody speaks for the food, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's connection, you know? We say our miigwetches, we say our things. Grace is always appropriate, eh? So how can we take that into a... You, you made this comment in Braiding Sweetgrass. We have ceremonies to remember how to remember, okay? And that's what led to our victory in the Pinocchies. Joe Rose bringing his pipe, bringing his hand drum, and speaking his miigwetches in a very simple way, okay? How can that enlarge? How can that be more viable? How can that gain more, more traction? How do you get... How does it get taught? I see what you're up against because there is this notion, right, that what we'd be doing is be bringing religion and privileging one religion in the classroom and in public education. We don't do that for very good reasons, right, right? for very good reasons. Um, But we're not talking here about religion. We're talking about our responsibilities as human people, which seems to me to be legitimate for all, everyone's, education um and there there's no dictate to whom you are grateful to me it is a way of being to name um the the importance of waters can we agree that the waters are still here and and doing their duty and and taking care of the earth on this we can agree you know can we agree that the birds are still here and lightening our our hearts and doing all their work in the world we can agree on this um and to me some of the beauty and the power of the words that come before before all else the the thanksgiving is um to orient you to place to recognize um, your position in all of the world, that um, you know, the, all the world is taking care mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. um, and uh, to me, it has a, it, 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 it is the. Sometimes I think about it as it's the song that will save us. Um, every every winter we have a, a big ski race called the Berkebeiner yeah. in Hayward, and. Uh, a friend of mine, Ernie St. Germain, uh, was working for Tony Wise at Mount Telmark. He's a Flambeau Ojibwe travel judge, Medellin. And he was given a pair of skis and told just to, to race 52 kilometers in the morning. And that is, you know, he's still one of the founders of that race. Well, that race attracts a lot of people. And it attracted Bill McKibben, who, mm. who had written uh, a book when he was a New Yorker writer called The End of Nature, mm-hmm. which was really the first major treatment of climate change. And I had a chance to visit with McKibben, and he's, he's a Methodist, and he sent me back, and I was, I was raised fundamentalist, he sent me back to the book of Job, chapter 38, which is the longest speech the Creator makes in the Bible. And the Creator is pretty much saying, 
Do you peeps have any idea what has gone into this project? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's really sarcastic. Huh. It sounds kind of demented. But when you look at what's happening in the Arctic and the fact that while it's 22 below zero in Madison today, it's raining up in Anchorage, okay? We're, we're in a situation. And the women asked me to ask you this. As this unfolds, this, this earth change, what's our strategy? What's, and I know this is an immense question, but what plants do we need to connect with? What, what do we need to teach our kids about the woods as this thing unravels? Mm. I think that the plants, in addition to all the other material gifts that they give us, are our most profound teachers. And when I, too, look at the urgency of the climate chaos which is upon us, my comfort and my teachers are the trees and the medicines. Um, because who is it that knows how to deal with excess carbon in the atmosphere? The plants know how to do this, all right? Um, they, it, it's their work in the world. Their work in the world is, is caring for us, so we, and, and caring for all creation, not just for us. You know, we're, we're, we're the younger brothers of creation. So trusting in the plants and learning from the plants who have, after all, already converted fully to a 100% solar economy, right? We just look at that right there, right. That, that they are harnessing that gift right. of the sun, harnessing the gift of the water, and caring for all creation as a result. Right. So I think the more we learn from the trees, um, who are these, these gift givers and our, our sustainers, the wiser we will be, and that it is the way forward. I was just reading something that was assessing that when we look at the need for carbon sequestration, um, that in fact photosynthesis could account for sequestering up to a third of the excess carbon above 350 parts per million, which is in the, in the atmosphere now, Photosynthesis could do this. So here we have these holy green people who are caring for us, who could solve the problem that we have created, and we're continuing to deny them that role. You know, we're deforesting, draining wetlands, still doing all, you know, converting beautiful tall grass prairies to soybeans for ethanol, corn, corn for ethanol. Um, we have to look to the guidance of our teachers, take care of our teachers, and, and, and they're speaking loud and clear about what it is that we are to do. And um, so follow the teachings of the plants um, and, and support those plants. Take care of your forest. Plant as many trees as you can. Take care of your garden. Um, honor those teachers by implementing the teachings that they've given us. April Stone Doll is a basket maker from from Bad River, and she works with uh, ash. And we're losing the ash, of course, because of the emerald bore. And I was, I was paging through the Wisconsin Historical Society webpage, and I, I saw a note from 1908 about the Stearns Lumber Company that were harvesting trees at Bad River, at Odena. There were 10 crews of 15 men apiece, and the trees, the cedar, the gizik, the inanatik, the mutik, were stacked up on the Bad River for 42 miles, 100 feet high. 
and we haven't even begun to grieve that. What happened? And I read it. I read it to Wiggins, and he said, you know, every alder swamp we have here at one time was a grove of cedars. And that's not that long ago. Mm -hmm. That's 1908. Mm -hmm. You know, your grandparents were probably alive then, and mine were too. And the idea of, you know, praise and grief, praise and grief, you know, on that fulcrum. We don't grieve this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen in any country all the time either. You know, because of the complexities of modern industrial life, the casinos, uh, the payments from the federal government, the treaty rights stuff. I mean... When we weep over things, when we harvest things, they know that we desire them. So if we look at this as an ongoing love affair, right? Exactly. A love affair. Exactly. We, you know, they mock us now for hugging trees. Mm. But you have whole cultures of people in Asia right now that are forest bathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the skins knew that all along. They grew up that way, right? Indian people... Look at the Tikkanagan, the, the little place where the baby is cradled mm-hmm. with moss. With moss. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. Mm-hmm. Vertical. Keep your back strong. Mm-hmm. You know what, you know, uh, what, what's a modern day as a mother, as a grandmother? What, what's a modern day Tikkanagan for us? What can we keep right here as an image? Mm. As we go, as we go forth. Mm. Yeah. To me, a an and when I think about the ways that our young people, our infants, our beloveds, were held in moss, in wood, and softest of skins, what that was was the embrace of Mother Earth. It was remembering that you have to, you have more than one mother now, yeah. and. I think that one of the most transformative ideas, which relates also to your notion of, of grief, is that we, we would say that we love the earth, right? Many people would say that. But we forget that the earth loves us, the way a mother loves her children. And if we remembered that, if we remembered that we are held in a dick and organ of Mother Earth, would we damage our mother would we turn would we behave like this if we remembered that the earth loves us back and that's the piece that has been ripped from us um that that reciprocity that emotional reciprocity and um and and to remember yourself as as completely cared for by a literal mother earth and carry that notion with you of of, of that the earth loves me too and how do I act from that place? Mm-hmm. And part of the way that we act from that place is acknowledgement of grief. I think you are so right that because we, in Western society, are almost devoid of meaningful right. ceremony, meaningful mm-hmm. um, understanding that we we won't look at that that grief of, of, of what amounts to a genocide of trees, to say nothing of mm-hmm whole cascade Um, um, but we have to look at that because grief is a measure of our love um, and the power of our grief compels us to to transform and and that's why grief and and in in the case 
that you're talking about, also shame and, and guilt at what we have done propels the mm. healing. So unless we look at it, unless we embrace it, um, we can't get mm. to that place of acting out of mm. that powerful maternal love until we also acknowledge the wound. You know, we, we grow up in Paul Bunyan country. Mm. There's this, you know, mythical French-Canadian logger with his magical blue eyes. Mm -hmm. But in one of the tellings of the Paul Bunyan story, which I think was engineered by the timber hunters. Makes sense. To colonize us. The trees, you know, Paul wants to build a house and uh, he needs uh, a tool to do it, so he goes up to the Masabi Range and he mines some iron ore and he brings it back and welds it into two bars and makes a very sharp axe. And as he's going out to build his house or settle, you know, what he pretends is an empty continent, right? he begins to chop down these trees, but the trees, they begin to laugh at him. They begin to mock him. And they stop talking, okay? Hmm. And the only thing that's left after he destroys almost, you know, 95% of the virgin forest is a couple of little leaves that are fluttering, okay? Those trees are talking to us again, okay? They talked to me last week at the artesian maple, okay? Mm -hmm. And they inspired us to go build a stainless steel pan to make uh, sugar cakes. You know how good they are in the spring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you talk about it. Uh -huh. Making it with your daughters. Yeah. And the garbage can and, <laughs> and the spiles that you got for 75 cents. Yep. I'm going to send you some sugar cakes this year, sister. Okay. Oh, me quit. Okay, I'm going to send you some From the Pinocchio? From the Pinocchio. Oh, from, yeah. uh, Pinocchi Gold, we called it. Yeah. And we had a successful occupation up there. And a lot of people came together, you know. And we confounded uh, the state and we just fed everybody as we were fed by the maple. Yeah, right? indeed. indeed. <laughs> so it's effective. Yeah. You know, I mean, fast forward ahead to Standing Rock, EOC, who's this rock star, uh, brown earth colored woman from Brooklyn, is shaking things up along with the other indigenous women mm -hmm. in the Congress. So there's a movement going on. And overall, where where do you where do, where does it head? You're here to talk at the UW. You're a graduate here. You were. I you, am. You got yeah. your master's here. And my PhD here. And your yeah, PhD. Both, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, this is homeland, Potawatomi mm -hmm. country, mm -hmm. right? Michigan, mm -hmm. Eastern Wisconsin. Uh, you seem like a very joyful woman. Of course I am. Right. Of course I am. I spent time in the woods. That's <laughs> right. I can see I'm it. I'm surrounded you know. by my beautiful relatives. The plants have not given up yeah. on us. The water has not given right. up on this, yeah. on us, despite what we do. We have to listen to that, take that joy, and, and move forward. Um, we have to move forward with 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 love and, and, and gratitude. If the, an environmental movement which is propelled by fear alone yeah is a dead end. Yeah. It's a dead end. I think the question before us is that we have to say, you know, what do you love too much to lose? Yeah. And when you name that and yeah. you hold that close, then you 
I, w- I was going to say fight to protect it, and we often use that language. I say work to protect it. It's not always a fight. Yeah. Um, it, in, you know, in that mentality yeah. of, of, of fighting, but, but fierce protection and fierce nurturing. It's not just a matter of saying no to things. We also have to say yes to what we love. We have to hold out this vision, which, is, which is, has been passed to us, which says we could live in a world where the world loves us and, and we love the world. We don't have to live in a world where, where, the, where the maple trees would, you know, turn their heads away from us. Oh, my God, who are these people? They've forgotten who they are. I don't want to live in that world. When you come upon a plant and you approach it, you you advise us, don't take the first one. And uh, just tell us a little bit about process. Let's say you're out, you're harvesting sage, or you're harvesting gijik, or you're harvesting, uh, oh, here's where it's coming forward now. Shatagan. Oh, yeah. We found it in the Pinocchis. Mm-hmm. And when you use that image of the spark, it does, it holds spark. Yeah. So on the migration, it must have been used as a vehicle Certainly. to move Ishkode, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that so resonated with me. You know, I, I, was, I was looking the other day at a co-op, they're selling 30 capsules of chaga extract for 28 bucks and we give it away mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah i want to keep doing that mm-hmm. you know? yeah it's not a commodity it's not it's a, a commodity. gift you don't sell a gift and you know i'm sure you know that solzhenitsyn used it to heal himself when he was in the gulag i didn't know and that. he learned that from the russian peasants mm-hmm. he had a bear dream mm-hmm. and the bears told him to go harvest it mm. who would know Mm-hmm. You know, the bears knew it. Mm-hmm. They understood it. Mm-hmm. You know, just like when they picked the sweet sisley, you know, when they're, you know, they're birthing their cubs right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And that bear energy to really know the plants. I had a woman tell me this last summer, learn seven and then teach seven. How do you, how do you deal with your PhD people when you're dealing with plants? And they're coming from a dominant society. How do you, how do you integrate them? Mm. How do mm. you, how do you do it? Mm. When I think about many of my students who are wonderful botany students yeah. and plant ecology students, they know all the scientific names and mm. you know chemical compositions and all of this. I don't actually have to teach them anything. I have to unteach them. Mm. <laughs> I have to let the plants teach them. I think of myself as just a translator. You know, I, I, I want to say, meet each other. You know this white pinus, pinus strobus, and it does this and it does that. All true, all true. But I also want to say, meet Zhingguak. Um, meet this this being. Let's make tea together, may we? And we practice the honorable harvest. Mm-hmm. We treat that Zhingguak like the relative that it is, and and um, my students are transformed um, because the plant teaches them that. Once they, they take those glasses off that says, oh, this is just a thing, this is a being, this is an ecological entity, say it is an ecological entity and a spirit being. Um, and when you have both of those ways of knowing, your your relationship, I think, becomes 
so much deeper and, and, and richer. You know, as a person who is a plant scientist, as well as a, as a, a student of, of traditional knowledge, to me it's the powerful synergy of those ways of knowing. Not to say one is, 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 is mm. above the other. To know them both takes us back to the medicine wheel, to know, to know more fully. Um, but not to to ever forget that that being is the one who is the teacher. So that's my teaching philosophy in this. Is I just I try to introduce the plants to those beings through that lens of of being this. Here is your teacher. Um, why don't you be together and, and learn from each other? Because then that's really authentic knowledge. You know, I think it's what's really important is to teach people how to learn. Um, they might forget all of the, if I give them a whole list of all of the uses mm. of Zhinguac, mm. um, they would probably remember some of them, mm. but what I want them to know is is how to learn from the land. And and I think that um, this disconnect that we have um, from the living world is not only the loss of, let's say, knowledge or information, but we are forgetting how to learn from the land. And the land is still willing to teach us if we if we will be good students, mm. but we have to know how to do it. What I've heard you describe to me in our interview, when we take the word restoration, I think the way you teach it is that we restore the land. We we associate the maple with with health. You know, it's like when my boys would get you know, ear infections. I went I went to a medicine man and I gave tobacco and I asked for help and he gave me uh, cedar, uh, sage, and maple syrup and had me make a, a tea. And uh, they healed. We didn't have to buy the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Well, that's got to be ancient, ancient wisdom. And... What you know? You, that's not the kind of knowledge that you're going to get from a Western MD. He's going to give you the antibiotics. So, what's the venue for learning this stuff? I mean, do they do they study plants? I mean, do they come to one of your workshops? Do they meet a, a healer from town? Uh, how do they discard uh, the clouds? Of, of material culture and, and return to this indigeneity. How do people become indigenous again? When you're telling, when you're retelling the Sky Woman story, which we know from Winnebijou and Wujashka, mm -hmm. you know, the Muskrat, you put something on it which just, just bowled me over when you said she was also an immigrant. That changes everything, okay? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> she floated down like the pirouetting maple leaf. Yeah. From where? From yeah. stars, yeah. right? From Pleiades, from Wakanagishi. Mm -hmm. From the sky world. Right? That was the most humbling statement I've ever heard from an elder. And I've listened to a few. So I want to say miigwech mm -hmm. for teaching me that. Mm -hmm. Because it liberates me in so many different ways. Okay? So, Jimmy Quick. So. I think that that language, which 
it seems important to me to remember that in a world which is made out of change, we are always changing. I use that language. We are always falling into a new world. Mm. And, and to take those teachings, to think of how is it when we fall into a new world, physical, spiritual, metaphoric, how do we make a home? And that she's leaving us those lessons of how do we, how do we make a home in a good way when we're coming from a different place? And, and, and the teachings of, of gratitude and reciprocity are, I think, are, are, are universal. And I also want to, if I could pick up that thread of restoration, I want to say that I quote that, that those brilliant words are from Gary Nabhan, a wonderful ethnobotanist. Um, and I think he's exactly right, that what we have to do, it's not enough just to repair the damage that we have done, although that's a real good starting place, is that in order to live here as if it were our beloved homeland, we also have to have a story that isn't the Paul Bunyan story. I hadn't ever heard that before, by the way, that it isn't this, the story of the frontier mentality. This isn't really our home. It's just a big warehouse full of goods, and we're going to cut it down and dig it up and take it somewhere else. This is our home. Um, and so that language of, of how do we make a home belongs to all of us, you know, in this really, really fraught political landscape in which we find our, ourselves today, you know, people talk, well, we have to find common ground. Well, what about the ground? <laughs> what about the ground <laughs> that we are on, you know, when the grant, let the Let's remember that. Let's remember that and, and start there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh.